You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Branke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they have on the manufacturing industry going forward. All right, before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Also, we're live every Friday, so make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube at IEN Magazine to get a notification and join us live. Is anyone there now? (laughs) Not yet. Okay. (laughs) All right. Before we get started, I'd like to ask Anna how she's doing. Is anyone there now? (laughs) (laughs) Still silence. Jeff? Uh, I'm good. I'm just anticipating all the flood of comments coming from the live viewers. Yeah, no. Because you've made that very clear. Yeah, they get like a late start. You know, it's like they like to get the coffee, then come in. You know, the intro is already over. They get into the meeting. Just in time for the oil eater commercial. Yeah, they're like, David's going to tell us to subscribe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not doing that. That's right. I'll just skip ahead. So let's let's get to it. Before we get started, we have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800 528 0334. And we're back. And before we get into our first story, just a reminder that you can click the link below, get yourself a free sample of Oil Eater. All right. Our first story this week, ammo manufacturer sentenced for failing to pay taxes. From 2013 to 2016, Curtis Allen Perry operated an ammunition manufacturing business in Laramie, Wyoming that sold ammo can brand products. This week, he was sentenced to 18 months in prison and ordered to pay more than $350,000 in restitution for failure to pay employee taxes. According to the Department of Justice, Perry withheld federal taxes from his employees' paychecks, but didn't pay the IRS. Instead, he used the money to support himself and his business. He also evaded federal excise taxes on ammunition sales. Anna, Perry pleaded guilty to 12 counts of tax evasion following his indictment. And we've seen a lot of radical penalties, some not at all, some getting a lot more time. What were your thoughts on sort of the penalty for the crime here? Yeah, so um, the IRS takes this very seriously. They view this as theft of IRS or government money, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, And it's my understanding that the law was written in a way so they can pierce the corporate veil, Mm -hmm. uh, so to speak. So they can actually go um, after the individual responsible, even an individual who assigned this task to somebody else who didn't complete the task. They can be on the hook for Mm this. Um, and, And it's... It's structured in a way that you can't simply like fold your business, file bankruptcy like this can actually 
follow you yeah for you know until you pay it back or whatever um <clears throat> so they took you know mr perry down and rightfully so i believe this type of crime it's white collar crime right i feel like it should be judged harshly simply because i think of all of the businesses who or even the individuals out there honestly who like bust their butts to pay taxes yeah who go without who you know yep kind of take a a more conservative approach because they have to yeah who's sacrificed to do it right yeah you 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 know those are built-in costs you got to do them you know that's stressful right Mm -hmm. to like shoulder that burden of of taxation and and somebody just skips it you can't just let them uh go with a slap but um i don't know it's uh it because the criminal the the penalties can be criminal um 18 months, supervised release, restitution. I don't know. Bad, but yeah, could have been worse. Could have been worse. I feel like this uh, individual should probably be thankful that it was not worse because it went on for kind of a long time. And so they could have, I mean, they identified that it was willful. And yeah. that's like, yeah. that's a big strike against you in a case like this. So, well, and I'll get into it in a bit, but I mean, it was also not the first time. Yeah. Um, Jeff, your thoughts on did this successfully pierce the corporate veil? What an outstanding phrase. Yeah. Turned by Anna there. Like a punk Fantastic. Band. That's like a documentary title or something. I was reading probably. some like legal documents before I was making notes on the for the podcast. Mm. So well done. So I got like super lawyerly about it, I guess. <laughs> um, you're going to get into the background a little bit of this guy. Definitely um, someone whose business ethics could be questioned, I think, mm-hmm. uh, would be mm-hmm. a, a safe way of stating that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he had gotten into trouble before. But what's interesting, too, is when you look at this time frame, there was a huge there was an opportunity here for both of the businesses that he had started. Um, there was a huge issue in terms of ammunition shortages during this time. Right. Um, there was an issue in terms of getting materials like copper and steel. They were, the prices were really high. Um, he had moved his business from one state to another and actually even got a pat on the back from the Wyoming governor when they were coming in because they thought it was going to be increasing manufacturing jobs in the state and things like that. So there was an opportunity here if he was going to manufacture ammunition. People during the Obama administration were just rushing to get bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of paranoia over what was going to go on from a political, social perspective. So there was an opportunity here. He obviously failed to capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. You can definitely question whether he had the abilities or capabilities to take advantage of a market demand and need. Mm-hmm. But it, um, it, he went about it, obviously, the wrong way. And it's good to see he got caught. Yeah. So Ammo Can opened in 2013 in Wyoming and then remained in operation until 2016 when the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This is according to the Laramie Boomerang the greatest name of any newspaper ever. (laughs) He did the same thing in Grand Junction, Colorado for a business with the same name. So records show that Perry was hit with a federal tax lien for more than $30,000 in taxes that went unpaid in 2014. So essentially he got caught in Colorado. He got caught in Colorado, just went over the border and set up the same shop in Wyoming. Like literally, if you look at a map, he went one step into Wyoming and he's like, no, this is what we'll manufacture now. Oh, man. It was just uh, so at first I was kind of uh, in the same thought, Jeff, where I'm like, well, you know, maybe he was just reinvesting in the business, you know, and he was making bets that he was hoping would pay off. And he just the money didn't come in in time to pay taxes. We've definitely seen that before where people got overextended and, you know, sort of bet on the company and it just didn't cash. Uh, this seemed a little bit more <laughs> malicious to me where he was yeah. like. Well, all right. So I got caught in Colorado. 
What about Wyoming? I got an idea. Well, wasn't he, did he call his first company like Maverick Ammunition or something like that too? I mean, yeah, but it was also, it was, it was Ammo Can. So it was like okay. known as Ammo Can. Okay. So maybe like officially it was Maverick. <laughs> it's just like, that's really the name you're going to pick. The guy who's going to get caught cheating the IRS is mm-hmm. going to go with Maverick. Huh? Right? right. Welcome to Irish Cheat Ammunition Sales. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, so it was, uh, and to your point, I thought that the crime could have been, or uh, the penalty could have been much more stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does have to pay a little bit of restitution, stuff like that. Um, that's at least a little bit. Uh, it's interesting to see when other, other for other crimes, for other things, people typically kind of skate on it. Yeah. Although I in this case, I feel like restitution should be the bare minimum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what's kind of interesting, too, is we see this with a lot of tech companies. They're not allowed to be the CEO or whatever of that type of company forever that's like the court order mm-hmm. i mean i think this guy deserves that as well let's keep him out of this oh, business no, no and more ammo companies yeah. for life so like when he gets out ammo can montana <laughs> like uh yeah watch out north dakota <laughs> oh that's probably a sound location for it all right nobody's <clears throat> looking at north dakota nobody's gonna go there all right our next most popular story this week delorean reveals the alpha 5 ev Last weekend, DeLorean offered a more definitive look at the all-electric version of the mythical brand. If you remember, the company had an ad during the Super Bowl that teased a comeback, but it showed little more than a shadowy profile. Well, they call it the Alpha 5, and it will debut in the middle of August at the Pebble Beach Corps d'Elegance in California. Well done. (laughs) That is how they say it. Is that how they say it? That is how they all say it. Cool. Okay. Cours, concours d'élégance. Did I miss the con? Did you I just did. say cours d'élégance? You You're not guttural out. enough. I oh. think just you gotta <laughs> get in there. Yep. D'élégance. <laughs> <laughs> the car will still sport the signature gullwing doors and rear window louvers, but it will be longer and wider than its predecessors. The Alpha 5 will have a 300 mile range and a top speed of 155 miles per hour. It will also go 0 to 60 miles per hour in 2.99 seconds, which after last week's Bentley, like Bentley's brutal 1.5 seconds, just seems a little more reasonable, a little bit more livable. Because it needs a tie-in to its lone cultural bright spot in the company's history, Autocar reports that only 88 track-only models will be within the launch edition. Anna, this news is heavy. Uh, Yeah, and we thought the future was... Never promised, but here we are <laughs> looking at Gullwing doors in real life. Wow. Well done. You were yeah. on fire today. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, CEO Yost DeVries told Autocar that this will have performance to match the Mercedes AMG GT and maybe the higher end Porsche Taycan. Uh, but it's more catering to the internal combustion crowd than trying to become a faster Tesla Model S Plaid. Nice. Which I thought was interesting. Um, considering that his leadership experience comes from both Tesla and Karma. Mm-hmm. He's an EV guy. Yeah, He says he's trying to target this um, to a different buyer. But when you look at what they're doing to start, I do not understand <laughs> this approach at all. So like this, you mentioned the, the first run. It's a limited run. 88 track only models. They are not going to be street legal. Um, so... All right. Um, <laughs> 88 people with tracks. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they're also associated with an NFT. Mm. And to me, 
This takes a niche vehicle and markets it in a way that's even more niche. Yeah. And I guess I don't understand that. Like, I almost feel like the NFT craze, which is obviously closely aligned with crypto enthusiasts, is like becoming more and more exclusionary in the sense that you either buy into that hype or you don't. Right. And keep in mind, more than 70% of Americans do not know what an NFT is. Mm -hmm. So I guess I think that even the other 30%, they're still not sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've heard of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know, I guess like beside it it being like a unique approach, like I don't know if it opens a lot of doors as a strategy. Like if you look at who has a lot of money to be buying like a luxury or performance car, um, you know, who has the disposable income to do that? Like Mm -hmm. it's not. It only needs 88. Well, I know. But if you exclude kind of mentally uh, exclude like a, a huge demographic of people. Mm-hmm. 70% of Americans who are like, what's an NFT? I don't get it. This is too futuristic for me, whatever I'm out. Mm-hmm. And maybe it won't go that way. But to me, like track only models, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then also this NFT thing. Like, I just think it's like sort of diversionary and it it puts this weird, uh, I don't know, rigid structure around it of like who the buyer should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think Understood. there's enough, I don't think there's enough of those people out there. You don't think Jeff. So the allure of an NFT that'll allow you to drive your custom track DeLorean <laughs> Alpha 5 in the metaverse, that's not enough? In the, in the metaverse. Yeah. Jeff, uh, first, uh, let's not go to the metaverse, all right? Let's, first, Jeff, I just see, explain what an NFT is for our audience. A non-fungible token? Oh! All right, I was trying to test there you there. There you go, he's yeah. got it. Uh, yeah. Anna, which, which annoys you more? Yeah. Um, personal aircraft, aircraft <laughs> type uh, options or cryptocurrency? Hands down cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't I'm going to step that, aside but. from that because I. every time I think I kind of understand it, something else comes up and I don't. All I know is they're losing their butts right now on that stuff. So um, when it comes to the DeLorean here, the kiss of death, anytime you roll out something new and you say it's not like anything else, mm-hmm. and then you compare it to your three biggest competitors, in this case, Mercedes, Porsche, and Tesla, yeah. that's not a good thing. Yeah. Especially when all of this stuff, while it's it would have been great three or four years ago, it's not special anymore. Mm-hmm. None of this stuff makes it stand out or be unique. So what they're basically counting on is people are going to flock to the DeLorean because of its brand name and everything else that's been built up in social culture, basically, and and the perceptions of it. Now, I'll say this much. It's a great looking vehicle. It looks awesome. They did the right things in terms of making it longer, especially Mm -hmm. just giving it a little bit more stature, I guess, just just physical presence. But. I just I don't get how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. I don't see how there is enough of a, enough people out there saying, you know what? I want an EV. I'm willing to pay more for it, as opposed to these other five manufacturers who've been making cars for decades. I'm going to go to this new one that's got a really sketchy background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That had, when when the DeLorean was out there, forget everything else that was involved with John DeLorean. The car itself sucked. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it handled poorly. It leaked water. It was not a good vehicle. Now, hopefully they've addressed all of those engineering issues. But still, this just this is a big swing. I do not see this working out. No. So that was one of my first thoughts is so if this goes bad. Is it on you for buying it or the company for even attempting it? At least it's not stainless steel body. I mean, yeah. I mean, I really, I want this to succeed. I don't like that. I'm essentially priced out of at least 10 years of iterations of this. Um, But if it was price competitive, looking at it, 
It is a beautiful car. I really like the concept sketches with a simple infotainment system and dash that actually is a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more elegant or not as, uh, um, obtrusive as the ones that you see in Tesla, like mm-hmm. those monster, like 17 inch screens. Um, so I really liked a lot of things about it, except the fact that, you know, it's likely not in any sort of price point for me or really like street legal. They didn't really give well, plans for it's when it's not even targeted towards you. Like right, all of yeah. those vehicles that we talked about, <laughs> you can buy them and drive them on the road. Like yeah. this is really niche. And with all of the marketing they did around it, that's just sort of a disappointing rollout. No, mm-hmm. that's like, uh, Reed talked about it a few episodes ago about, you know, other cars with nostalgia that could have like an EV tie in and come back, you know, because there are people with heavy nostalgia in both Gen Z and millennials that this would appeal to. And I'm one of them. And then it's like, oh, but not going to be in the cards anytime soon. You back on the gremlin train here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the EV gremlin's going to be a thing. Um, I saw a Datsun this weekend. Oh, really? Whoa. It was a wagon. Yeah, it was pretty sweet, I have to admit. So, okay, the Pebble Beach Concourse de Elegance in California is a competition of elegance. And as snooty as that sounds, does the new DeLorean win in a competition of elegance? I don't know if I call it elegant. Yeah. I don't know if that's the word. I mean, it looks great. I agree with you. I think the design is awesome. But yeah. the one I was thinking about thinking about this, too, and doing some research, like if there had been a different car in Back to the Future, yeah. are we still talking about the DeLorean? Oh, no. They've been flying a firebird. No. I mean, mm-hmm. are we looking yeah. at this? No. I uh, just want to go to this uh, event in California, get all dressed up and be like, she sure is party, though. <laughs> like, mm, fine looking car right there. All right. Our next most popular story this week. Defective battery pack sparks fire inside Rivian plant. A fire broke out at the Rivian automotive <clears throat> plant over the weekend in Normal, Illinois. Workers had to evacuate the battery assembly area when the defective battery pack ignited. When firefighters arrived, there was a battery pack in thermal runaway. That's when a lithium-ion cell enters an uncontrollable, self-heating state as a result of a fire or electrical fault. Firefighters extinguished the fire and then continued to flow water on the pack to keep it cool to prevent further thermal runaway from occurring. Once the battery pack was put out and cooled, Firefighters moved the fire-damaged battery outside of the plant and began ventilating the smoke from the building. Where, When they were outside, they again continued to cool the pack with water until it was released to Rivian engineers for the investigation and disassembly. The exact cause of the fire is underway, but uh, the exact cause of the fire is under investigation, but the battery pack had been in a repair area and was being tested when the thermal runaway began. Jeff, no one was injured, but, you know, some test booth equipment was damaged. Overall, it seems like it seems like this wasn't necessarily a surprise because it was already a damaged pack in an area where it was kind of being investigated. However, you still don't like to see an EV fire. Right. And and that's obviously why this gets a lot of attention, especially when it is Rivian, which is one of those that we've kind of propped up a little bit as showing a tremendous amount of promise. It seems like they have the right pacing, the right model. Mm -hmm. They have everything squared away and going in the right direction. And if this is a different type of product in a different type of plant, we're probably not talking about as much. It's sort of a not that there's there's any way to just brush aside any type of industrial accident or plant fire. But it's one of those things that can happen. Yeah. And yeah. in this instance, obviously it gets a lot more attention. Um, one thing I wanted to correct from last week and just also kind of putting out a different vibe in terms of some of the public misperceptions about EVs, 
the stat that I quoted was from the NHTSA. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they looked at 100,000 vehicles, a battery electric car like these, mm-hmm. you're going to see about 25 vehicle fires per 100,000 oh, okay. on the road. Okay. When you go up to a gas-powered car, it's about 1,300. Oh. And then when you go to a hybrid electric, it's about 3,400. Whoa. Every 100,000. Now, the, 3, scale, the scale of the fire you it's know, different. is managed. It's it's, a it doesn't, fire. Yeah, it doesn't mean things are good. It could be also be something that there was in a crash, mm-hmm. whatever. So they are safer, but these types of headlines do perpetuate some of those misperceptions. So it's important to keep that in mind. The other thing that made me think about is even though it was very small, quickly contained, I think they turned control back over to Rivian in a matter of hours yeah, here hours. from the fire department. Mm-hmm. You do wonder what this could potentially do for a lot of Rivian's plans in terms from a production perspective. Before all this supply chain craziness, they were looking at trying to get 25,000 cars out this year or vehicles out this year. That's probably not going to happen because of the supply chain issues with all those metals and, and everything that they need for the batteries. The other thing is right now they've got about 1,200 trucks that they have been able to deliver so far this year. You just wonder this type of setback, even though it seems controlled. Internally, this could be a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. You don't know exactly what they were looking at. They knew it was a battery pack that wasn't working right. What does this mean, bigger picture for Rivian? I think those are some of the questions, whether they're fair or not, that are going to come up here. Yeah. Well, and thank you for the reminder that uh, my car is a death trap. You're welcome. It's a hybrid. Cool. I, uh, yep, it's all right. The anxiety had just quelled from last week. That's what we're here well, for. <laughs> week over week, we'll bring it up. Very good. Um, Anna, what were your thoughts on the Rivian fire? Um, yeah, it doesn't really help with consumer confidence, mm-hmm. uh, as Jeff relayed with those stats, you know, it's like, it's too bad that these are still making national news and anytime yeah. an electric car or electric car battery starts on fire, but it is important. I think that it's still being reported because there is significance to how these fires can be difficult to put out. Um, and whether the average fire department is sort of equipped to, to deal with these incidents of thermal runaway, because, mm-hmm. uh, those you know, when that happens, I think it, it can be hard to put those fires out. They can reignite. Yeah. yeah. That's um, why they kept dousing it. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And, well, yeah. In this case, the firefighters in normal um, seem to have done an amazing job of continuing yeah. to tend to this battery in order to keep it cool long enough where the, the danger of that was eliminated. Um, I think firefighters tend to understand this, especially considering all the fires started probably by consumer electronics. Like they're on top of it. But good, good to see this play out in real life. Yeah. But um, you know, unfortunately for Rivian, um, the bad press, you know, is going to their names on the building. Right. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, we've been talking more and more about vertical integration among auto automakers and how a lot of them are trying to take on this battery production. And, you know, test fires are going to happen. This oh, kind yeah. of stuff. This is going to happen again. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, your name is on the building when yeah. that that's where that's taking place. Right. Versus like. Um, where it used to reflect on some sort of anonymous supplier, um, or maybe no one's even talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, it's going to reflect on the OEM, and I do think that that's going to, you know, not help the cause of trying to, you know, uh, increase consumer confidence in, in these vehicles. No, and according to Car Scoops, this is actually the third fire at that plant in seven months that is wow. mm-hmm. uh, tied to a battery. Again, they were. Faulty batteries previously, and but battery fires nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and I do want to mention, I believe that the Belvedere Fire Department also happened. And I just feel like that's there's going to be one person from the Belvedere Fire Department listening to this being like, hey, it wasn't all normal, guys. It wasn't mm-hmm. all normal. It was us, too. Um, Thank you, Belvedere. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, to your point, 
uh, to the scale of the fire, work resumed less than four hours later. So uh, that's a you know uh, tribute to both the staff and the fire department for sort of putting it out. And what I'm interested in is like, how do you or do you ever know if it's actually out? Because they kind yeah. of kept hitting it with water inside, dragged it outside, kept hitting it with water. And then it's kind of just like, it could still yeah. like run away. It's a temperature thing, right? It's, yeah. That's what makes it so weird. It's not about putting out the fire. It's about reducing the temperature of that battery. You would think it's kind of crazy that there wouldn't be some sort of chemical treatment that would be available that's better yeah. than water. Yeah, hit it with baking it soda. Down. <laughs> yeah. Just no, jump the bucket. No, <laughs> don't do that. But Because somebody will, and then you're liable. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Um. I, I also think it's interesting to see what, if anything, we hear about the investigation yeah. or if this is the end of it. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> oh, loyal listener, Seth, uh, reached out and said he saw an 86 Celica on the road this week. That is a rare, rare thing, Seth. Thank you for bringing How that random. up. random. Yeah, this is quite a random point. I wonder if it's at all tied to the fact that uh, producer Eric owns and drives an 86 Celica. I wonder. I don't know. We'll just have to check his Instagram and his Twitter and his Facebook and see if there's anything on there. All right. Our next most popular story. Ford CEO sees electric vehicle price war as EV costs decline. Ford CEO Jim Farley says the EV industry is heading to a huge price war. Farley expects the cost of building EVs to fall in coming years to the point where automakers will be battling each other for sales of EVs priced around $25,000, which can't happen soon enough. The CEO spoke at the Bernstein Strategic Decisions Conference on Wednesday and noted that it currently costs much more to build an EV than it does to make a gas-powered car. The battery cost alone is $18,000. The charger adds another $3,000. However, big cost reductions are coming with new battery chemistries that use fewer expensive and scarce precious metals like nickel and cobalt. Another bonus is that EVs will take less time and labor to build. Ford also plans to cut distribution costs by cutting the expense of keeping a large supply on dealer lots and cutting advertiser costs. Anna, Farley says that Ford, like Tesla, might might not actually have to use advertising to sell EVs, which adds up to $600 per vehicle. But if you're not the market leader and not first to market, you're going to need to put a message out there so people know what's going on. They can't uh, cut advertising. That's your theory. I mean, no, that's how that's how the world works. Well, we'll see. I mean, um, <laughs> there'll be like every company that's like, we're just going to take it to social media and go viral mm-hmm. every day. That's right. Tweet it. And then a, a year later, they're like, yeah, we upped our marketing budget. <laughs> um Yeah. I, so overall, I think this was maybe a bit of an obvious point being made. Um but it's one that I think needs to be in reinforced a bit because there's a lot of people out there, I think, that are in wait and see mode with EVs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently ran a story that cited updated figures on where consumers stand on their appetite for ele- electric vehicles. There were some interesting developments. So it was a J.D. Power report. Um, and they said that 24 percent of their survey rep- respondents um, said that they are very likely to buy an EV. And that mm. was an increase of four points over last year. Which wow. is pretty significant, yeah. right, in one year. Mm-hmm. So they say that interest is increasing, but they did point out that the demographic who finds EVs most appealing is people with higher incomes. <laughs> mm. 
And that's clearly because to date, there is not a wide variety of affordable electrics available. I mean, like that again, duh. So <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I think EVs will remain sort of a niche market because they're really only available to people who have an ideological reason to spend that kind of money or, you know, just kind of like a personal interest in EVs. Yeah. You know, they're too expensive right now for someone to just like roll the dice. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I've said this the same thing about like, so we put solar panels on our on our roof last summer, as you know, mm-hmm. and it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, And I've said this to other people before, like there's an ROI on it, but it's not quick. Mm-hmm. So unless you want to do this because you feel it's your responsibility to the environment or, you, you know, you have the money to do so you're not going to do it probably mm-hmm. because it's it's too expensive for the average person to just you know invest in I, at this point there's just there's not enough affordable options for for so so these barriers exist right mm-hmm. um and they do need to be removed and i fully believe that as the technology scales and the competition um creates a, a more level playing field that there is going to be a cost reduction yeah um and there will be a price war Right. And more people will get on board at that point, I do believe, because there will be other reasons to do so beside asking people to just roll the dice right. and like do it out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, there will be, a, a you know, opening the door to like lower income purchases and more entry level purchases. So, Well, I mean, but to your first point, that's like what happens with every product ever made ever that what there was demand for. Exactly. But I yeah. don't know that the average consumer thinks oh, about that. I that. think like maybe that's a point that does need to be made by automakers saying like, look, we have a lot of this stuff in the works. We are a couple years out from this being a completely different game, you know? Yeah. Jeff, uh, does the prospect of an impending price war, if you promote that, do you almost, are you exciting enough people that uh, they'll be able to afford an EV later down the road? Or are you almost suppressing some people from, you know, buying in now? I think this is one of the dumbest things I've heard an automaker say because high bar. All right. Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you come out and say, Hey, look, you know what? There's a lot of good news. Costs are coming down. We're going to be able to make this more cost effectively. And that's, you're going to feel that in your pocketbook Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, then the choice is going to go to, and we feel good as for, because we're a great design. We've got a better product made by higher quality, you know, workers. It's just a better, and you focus on the quality and the brand loyalty and all the things that made Ford successful for so many years, Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, yeah, I mean, it's just going to come down to price. I mean, you're basically commoditizing your product before it becomes a commodity. Why would you take that approach? That no, makes no sense to me. That's a really good point. How well, do you set yourself apart by basically saying, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be about price. I mean, just that's what's going to come down to. Whoever's cheapest, that's who's going to win this. That's just ridiculous. Well, that's not really what he said. I mean, don't you think it's important that he's speaking to one of the documented barriers between people and EVs? But that's a benefit. That's a positive thing. What he did here, the way I read it, is he's basically saying, we've got all these cost reductions. That's great. And everybody is going to universally see all of these cost reductions. It's going to bring the price of EVs down. More people can afford them, which basically means it's going to come down to a price war to determine who's going to win. Mm. That doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't you say, this is great news, guys. Bear with us for a couple of years. And then when you want an EV, you're going to be able to come to Ford because we've got a better product at a better price. Yeah, with a better legacy. And if so, what? Oh, right, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. No, I was just going to say, if they're all $25,000, you're going to have to do something to set yourself apart. Like advertise. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, this has to be, I mean, I wonder how you take it if you're part of Ford Blue, you know, the, uh, the yeah. EV side of the business. Is this yeah. a good or a bad thing? Like, well, to any of your workers, yeah. you're basically saying, hey, guys, you're doing the same job as everybody else, and you're just going to have to figure out how to cut costs here and make it cheaper. Yeah. You better do it better. I don't, think, yeah. I don't think you you need to assume that when he says that the price is going to go down, that he's saying, like, our car is whatever. But it's that's gonna be all he said. Is it, that all he said, or is that's that all that's in, the, in this article? That's all was in the yeah. article. I mean, that's what this article said, and he was and he doubled down on it numerous times, talking about fewer fasteners, takes less less workstations, all this other stuff. Yeah, that's all he talked about. This was an opportunity for him to say, not only are we going to be able to make it more cost effectively because you don't want to say cheaper, yeah, but, but we're also going to be able to make it better. Well, I mean, maybe because of the audience he was speaking to, that's why he was talking about, you know, how Ford wants a, quote, radical simplification of labor, which to your point, Jeff, he said half the fixtures, half the workstations, half the welds and 20 percent less fasteners just seemed like an odd number to throw out. No. We specifically know we need 20 percent less fasteners. Luckily, they didn't say like in half the workforce. Um, you know, it's interesting to see this revolution push design changes which I like a lot of the things that he was talking about are things that, you know, Tesla has already become really good at perfecting and kind of set it apart as a market leader. Um, other things that sort of caught my, uh, uh, caught my attention were he did mention that a la carte subscription models. Mm -hmm. So like autonomous driving as a surface, uh, surface as a service. Uh, so, um, features that could be rented for a period of time or by the mile, which I don't know if I like that idea. Where it's just like, hold on a second, we got to drive three hours. I'm gonna buy a little bit of autonomous driving to get us there. Maybe yeah. it's cheaper. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. That just seems like that just seems like a reoccurring cost or a subscription cost that winds up becoming more of an annoyance rather than should have just been a feature to the car. Yeah, VW kicked this around. I think a year ago or so. We talked about it on the podcast. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we were all very anti that idea. Yeah, very against it. I mean, I just don't understand that if. If one car has autonomous driving mm -hmm. standard and yours is as a service, I mean, I'm going to take the standard. Book. Well, and does it? That seems like an odd one to throw out there as an a la carte. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now uh, Michelle Krebs was an who is an executive analyst with Cox Automotive. She uh, she mentioned that it sounds like a lot of things have to fall into place to make this happen. So maybe. All, your, both your points are right. And Anna, he's kind of talking to people saying like costs are coming down to EVs. It's going to be more realistic. And Jeff, maybe he was talking to more of the uh, people on the corporate side saying like costs are going to come down, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe he was trying to serve a couple of masters there. Look well, at you, I, just trying to yeah, ease the bring tension. us all together. Well, and I would say to both of your points too, like achieving this um, and just you can't just talk about cost and then also kill your marketing department. And also take dealers out of the equation because we know that dealers are, are front facing salespeople. That's like marketing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You can't eliminate marketing. You can't eliminate dealerships and and then not promote yeah. the quality side of the business. Right. So something that's not going to work. You got to do. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that statement felt like it was targeted towards board members or stockholders who are saying, well, Tesla does it. Why can't you? Mm -hmm. well, now Tesla doesn't do it at the same scale. Yeah. What is the future Ford EV dealer look like? Is it 
you know, one car from each model that you can test drive and then you order it online? Well, that was the one thing I did like about his comments was we talked about, and he won't say just in time, but essentially that's what he's talking about. Having just enough inventory on the lot to make sense. Mm -hmm. And that I would agree with. I think that's one of the things that historically has always gotten the automotive industry into a lot of trouble. They overproduce in terms of the number of vehicles they make. They're stuck with extras. They cut deals to rental car companies where they're losing money on vehicles. So that approach does make a ton of sense here. That I would agree with him on. All right. Our most popular story this week. It made a lot of sense coming out of a holiday weekend. The world's largest bottle of whiskey sells for $1.4 million. The world's largest bottle of Macallan single malt scotch whiskey sold at auction this week for a cool $1.4 million. The bottle is 5 feet 11 inches tall and called the Intrepid. It holds 311 liters of whiskey, which is enough to fill about 444 standard bottles or, if you're interested, two bathtubs. Daniel Monk came up with the idea for the bottle as a tribute to his father, explorer Captain Stanley Monk. Stanley Monk. The whiskey was aged in two casks for 32 years before being bottled last year. Despite its massive size, the Intrepid is still not the most expensive ever sold. An older bottle of Macallan sold at auction in 2019 for $1.9 million. A regular-sized bottle. It was purchased, the big bottle, the Intrepid, was purchased by an anonymous buyer... (laughs) who might be in another anonymous club soon. (laughs) Anna, Anna, I know that you always like examples of gross wealth. So I wanted to start with you on this Mm -hmm. one. Yep. $2 million for a massive bottle of whiskey. 1.4. Yeah. Not even that much. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Yeah. not even that much. A drop in the uh, Mercedes bucket. I was the anonymous buyer. Mm. Um, yeah, the clock is ticking on this because, because I don't know what you do with that much whiskey. Like it's I think whiskey is generally considered to go bad after like a year or two of opening. Um, so whoever cracks this thing is going to be like on the clock. Yeah. You got to fill up those two bathtubs right away <laughs> and then just get to sipping. I guess I don't yeah. Um, no, you just uh, you, maybe they're having a wedding soon. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I learned that that if your whiskey smells or tastes bad, you should discard it immediately. That's what the, that's how you know if All it's right. gone bad. Oh, I, there's plenty of whiskey I've had before that I should have just discarded. Yeah, <laughs> I would say keep me away from this thing. I would how do you pull, know if it's like five? No, anyway, pull the drain. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I'd like to know a little more detail about the charitable organizations that they say benefited from this undertaking, and I'm not saying anything here to like you just like to know yeah i just like to know i mean is a very feel-good story but they talked about gaining exposure uh via the auction gaining exposure for exploration and general positivity which Mm. is about the most nebulous thing i have ever heard that's quite generic just (laughs) general positivity we're just trying to raise awareness of general positivity i like it whatever that is Mm -hmm. So uh, we just want to raise awareness of like flowers, rainbows, just like general positivity. Mm -hmm. So um, according to the auction house, the project is supporting the explorers chosen environmental, physical and mental well-being charities. So they put out obviously these explorers on the outside of the bottle. 
Yeah. Oh, so like the 11 explorers on the bottle, it's their charities? I guess so. Oh, all right. Um, but they did not go into any detail there. So I hope that that's like a significant portion of this um, $1.4 million. Because otherwise, the awareness thing, the big bottle thing, I don't know. I guess I just I, I'm very suspicious of awareness campaigns. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like this tends to be like a big PR blitz for a company like oh, this. Yeah. Um, that maybe they have a vested interest in the whiskey industry, but I don't know mm-hmm. that for sure. I yeah. would like to know more detail on where this money really went. Yeah. And 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 if, I don't know, if this was just like a big like media push for something that, I don't know. Jeff, when in doubt, if you need PR, just make a real big version of what you do. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Now, what's interesting here is this really isn't even a McCallum thing mm. this was the where this came about was from this fame holdings group mm-hmm. the the guy who did that for his dad or whatever that's he is the founder of this basically this this holdings group which off their linkedin page they said they started with a vision and was founded in early 2017 they're now the world's first sec registered u.s publicly traded company with subsidiaries in the uk and thailand this next part is the best Investing in whiskey has for a long time been the reserve of the super wealthy or the whiskey expert. Fame, Fame Holdings Group is here to change that. Yeah, they just they changed did it. that with a $1.4 million, six foot tall bottle of whiskey. Intrepid. Yeah. Yeah. Here at FMHG, we own and operate what we aim to become the world's most extensive collection of rare and collectible single malt scotch whiskey. As a public traded company, we are launching the world's first investable whiskey collection, allowing you the opportunity to invest in our 100% owned and managed rare whiskey collection. Huh. So basically, oh, this, this was just to get some money into their holding group, which is all about investing in whiskey, apparently. Yeah. I want to invest in general positivity. How do I do that? Mm, carefully. I, more smiles and hugs, I think. It's like a lot of smiles. Um, so according to producer Alex, you know, 444 standard bottles, you know, that's only 1.21 bottles a day. Right. That's only. Well, and the bad thing is this was an interesting um, calculation at 1.4 because that's about 10 times what you would pay for 444 bottles of 30 year old whiskey. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. That would run you about 140 grand. This guy paid 1.4 million. So who's but the, he got a big one. Who's yeah. the secret buyer? Mm. Mm. Richard Branson. I don't know. I don't know if he likes whiskey. I hope he likes hugs, though. No. <laughs> no. Um, I am a sucker for any story that starts world's largest. So, you know, we've done stories on world's largest wine bottles ever made. Uh, some company in Wisconsin, I think, just made the world's largest scoop to go on an ex- excava- uh, excavator. And uh, man, when I saw that story pop up, I'm like, yep, I'm an easy target. Give it to me. So uh, as more of these stories come in, please forward them to David at IEN.com. Um, no, I just thought it was a, it's an interesting story. It's kind of a feel good story, um, especially we kind of see a lull in terms of traffic after a holiday. And uh, man, people showed up for the big whiskey. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we move into, in case you missed it, stories that, you know, were maybe not as popular on our website, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. We have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. 
Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back with In Case You Missed It. Again, the stories that, you know, maybe weren't as popular, but they'll still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. All right, I'm going to go first this week with a story about Dyson and how they recently teased secret robot prototypes. Last week, Dyson showed off a few robot prototypes now in development as part of a presentation at the International Conference on Robotics and Automation. In a video, Dyson's chief engineer, Jake Dyson, who is James Dyson's son, shows off some of the company's secret R&D work, including robots doing the dishes, setting the table, and even cleaning up children's toys. He also took a shot at Roomba when he said they're developing a vacuum robot puck that actually vacuums. Oh, burn. And I, for one... We'll be in the market for one of those. <laughs> oh, it doesn't just push things in a bigger and bigger piles of dirt. Uh, the company plans to ramp up robotics in a big way in the next few years. And while Dyson is typically more top secret, the engineer wants to show off this cool tech to try and entice engineering talent. The company wants to recruit 250 robotics engineers in the near term and plans to add another 700 over the next five years. So Dyson is undergoing a talent infusion, and they've already hired 2,000 people this year, about half of which are engineers, scientists, and coders. The company is trying to build the UK's largest, most advanced robotics hub and bring the technology into our homes by 2029. I'm always interested in sort of the futuristic robotic stuff, but this is real world, how it can help people in the house. And typically when we see home-based robots, we see them more geared towards the elderly. Um, and uh, this just seemed like a couple of things I could really use. In terms of, like, in the video, he says, I spend half my life cleaning up after my kids. And I had, my wife said that that morning. I watched the video. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, this is a, a fine, useful product here. I mean, it's a little weird when you see the robots that are scanning the faces in the room to make sure they're human. I mean, you just really want to make sure that before that robot goes to grab something, it is a bunny and yeah. not a baby. Just like, put it away. Just like, <laughs> well, that just mashed my poor child's face. Um, but uh, no, I thought it was really interesting. And I like, uh, you know, as it's getting more competitive out there for talent, people are getting more and more outspoken about some of the cool reasons uh, you want to work for their company. And it looks really cool to work at Dyson. They like basically mm -hmm. bought an airfield. In uh, um, like the London area, and they have eat, they've transformed these hangars into these R and D centers. It's yeah. just cool. Like uh, I mean, of course they have uh, vacuum tech hangars, but they've got a lot of cool robot tech going on, and I found it really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Anna, you have to be interested by the prospect of. I mean, in the next seven years, we'll still be in the market for a robot that picks up toys. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love watching the stuff that James Dyson does because you can tell he has like a personal interest in innovation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, he dumps a lot of his own money, I think, into some of these pet projects. Um, and, you know, he knows when to walk away. Like when he was working on that 
car. I mean, he did invest a billion dollars into it um, <laughs> before walking away. Yeah. But he did walk away yeah. before he like put that baby on the stock market and tried to, you know what I mean? Like we've seen a lot of failed cars that have taken a lot more people down with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I don't know. He's kind of, yeah, he's kind of one to watch. I think he's does some exciting things and it's pretty fun to see what they're doing. Yeah, Jeff, it's a family that they use their engineering and innovation to solve problems that they personally want to address. Well, it was kind of cool, too, the way he rolled it out, mm-hmm. as opposed to Elon Musk saying, I mean, we're going to make more money off of robots that are going to be doing stuff like I don't want to do, like grocery shopping. Oh, yeah. And this guy's going, you know what? It really sucks, these things that we got to do at home. And we're working on solutions and we're investing in people to try to make it happen. Yeah. So just the way he rolled it out is, I think, what I appreciated the most, because I can, I'm sort of past having to pick up after the kids all the time now. Yeah. Now it's more like making sure they don't crash the car into the yeah. garage and mm-hmm. other things like that. So still got cats. <laughs> Clean up after those cats. Good call. Mm-hmm. That is a very Cat good toys. call. Yep. I mean, this is, this is the logical next step. To having a real life Rosie in all of our houses. Yeah, no, I'd agree. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Anna, what is your in case you missed it this week? Okay, I selected a story that brings awareness to general positivity. Great. About a student at Miami Dade College who has demonstrated the capabilities of new technology, enabling him to speed around a track in a NASCAR race car using the power of his mind. Wow. Uh, his name is German Aldana Zuniga, and he lost the use of his arms and legs after a car crash at age 16 injured his spinal cord. So nine years later, Zuniga is part of a study that's been spearheaded by the University of Miami's Project to Cure Paralysis. And it utilizes a brain implant that allows the user to drive using their mind. So it's using um, what's called a BMI or brain machine interface, and it functions as a sensor on the brain's surface. When the user thinks of a task, the brain activates and the sensor picks up that signal to transmit the action. So uh, this young man was terrified to do this. Uh, He had a lot of trauma relating to his accident that he had. He had never driven a car before because he was only 16 when the accident occurred. And um, so you got to give him a ton of props (laughs) Mm -hmm. for for not only being involved in like the research side of it, but also just, you know, giving this a shot. And while the driving part is very cool, the researchers are really amped up about the ways that this BMI could work to enable people with physical limitations to do things like turn on a light switch in their house or move a cursor on a computer screen. Um, Really kind of game changing technology that could be applied to so many applications. So I just really enjoyed the story Mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure that, you know, if anyone else wanted to see it, you should you should check out the video. It's very cool. No, I completely agree. Some of the advancements um, you know, we've talked about Neuralink a lot in the past, but mm-hmm. some of the advancements that are happening to help uh, help these people, you know, live a, I don't want to say more normal life, but an easier, mm-hmm. easier life. Well, just experience the things that everybody does else does on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't even. This is so, car. yeah, <laughs> this is so far like beyond my scope of understanding mm-hmm. in terms of the technology, but it, it is amazing and it's wonderful. And this was through the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So that kind of brings up an interesting question as well. You know, we do talk about Neuralink and we know some other companies that are investing in this type of technology. What is the better way to go? I mean, in a lot of instances, I've advocated for private companies and, and investing money and in trying to come up with products that are potentially sellable down the line. But in this instance, is it quicker to work with an institution like this that doesn't have any other agenda? 
You know, mm-hmm. they basically mm-hmm. just want to help somebody. So it's kind of a different course to take in, in implementing this type of stuff because this is, I mean, this is incredible technology. Yeah. And I mean, maybe there's a little, like a lot of those innovation hubs at universities, you know, they spin out. Yeah. I mean, so there's a little bit of, you know, when it's profitable, they'll figure out a way to. Uh, True. You know, Agreed. And yeah. pat- patent income. Yeah. You know, long, but, um, but yeah, I agree. It also feeds other yeah. programs. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was, uh, we went to um, uh, Gem of Wisconsin, uh, the world's Bratfest last weekend. And um, a Gem of Wisconsin. Yeah, like uh, everyone should go. It's amazing. It is quintessentially, it's very Wisconsin. Um, but there was somebody that we went, uh, actually, uh, Andy Zoll, who fills in on the podcast every once yeah. in a while, his band is playing, Railhopper, check him out. Um but they, uh, when we were sitting there watching it, there was a person in a wheelchair in uh, a robotic arm was feed, uh, letting him drink. And I was just That's like, awesome. we got to sit there next to these people, both enjoying a beverage after work hours and uh, maybe a little before. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, just seeing some of this technology, you know, a lot of times we report on it, but you don't see it out there in the world. And to start seeing it is, uh, you know, it's really cool. Um, Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? So article that caught my eye was entitled The Wall of Wind Blows Away Buildings at Cat 5 Hurricane Strength. So basically, studies are showing that tropical storms are ramping up in intensity with climate change and ocean and air temperature increases. So designing homes and infrastructure within the path of these storms is becoming a more critical need. Mm-hmm. We've got a storm that was registered at over 200 miles per hour not too long ago in the Gulf of Mexico. So basically at Florida International University, they have this facility. It's a covered wall of 12 giant fans, each as tall as an average person. And working to can, together, they can simulate a 160 mile an hour hurricane. When the jets, water jets simulate wind-driven rain at the other end of the building opens up to a large field where the engineers can see how and where structures fall apart where the debris flies, basically what works and what doesn't, and developing better materials for construction as well as techniques mm-hmm. for keeping these buildings together. Hmm. It's bad enough that they're going to fall down, but then essentially a lot of these materials become shrapnel yeah. in mm-hmm. the air, yeah. taking people out and becoming more and more dangerous. So really what this, the and the article goes into more detail about the different testing that they do. The thing that stuck out to me is in a lot of instances, we already have either the materials or the know-how implementing them is what we have to figure out. And it's not always that expensive. In some of the cases, they were able to better secure these buildings for as little as a couple hundred dollars Mm -hmm. in terms of that. So when we look at building codes, when we look at helping people in some of these lesser developed countries just keep their house upright, it's pretty incredible work that they're doing down there and pretty cool stuff. Well, and even if you don't want to read the article, you have to come and watch the video. Because even if it's the first Mm -hmm. 10 seconds, where they open, I mean, they're in an airplane. They're like in an air yeah. hangar too. They open the hangar doors and you're just like, what is, that is a giant fan. Yeah. That's many giant fans. It looks awesome. And you don't, there's no scale until you realize you see the tiny people mm-hmm. like on the sides pulling yeah. the doors open. You're like, I want, I, and my first instinct is I want to stand in front of it <laughs> and see like how long. Until you, you see how it just yeah. disintegrates yeah. that building. I don't like, think uh, you do. Just like tears the shirt off and you're like, ah, no, um, that's how you picture it going. I mean, yeah, I feel like the shirt goes first it's because like a it'll Superman be like a, type. no, it'll be like a button-down Hawaiian shirt, so that'll go first. A polo shirt? material, not a polo shirt ever. Oh. Um, the jeans will stay, you know, but uh, 
<laughs> but as a result, you have thought about this way too much detail. Yeah, but like you know, if you crouch down too much, like the jeans might catch wind, which will actually cause you to propel. Like you know, I think you are. Like I think you are gone a split second after your shirt. Probably, but you know, we're just not going to know. <laughs> so you try it. I'm going to stand. You know what? I think I can stand up to the wind. It's when they hit me with those water jets. Uh, that's when. Yeah. That's when I'm going to get taken out. Have yeah. you considered wearing a windbreaker? No, but I mean, I mean, essentially, it would be like uh, sort of like a a squirrel, a flying squirrel suit sort of simulation. <laughs> like they have the simulated uh, parachuting where you go on top yeah. of the fan. Mm-hmm. This, you know, could just be simulated uh, squirrel suit uh, gliding just in front of it. I mean, actually, this could be a new attraction at your local, you know, Wisconsin Dells water park. I would can... give it some more thought. I don't know. I don't Just know. I mean, keep we could... thinking about yeah. it the entire weekend. Yeah, we'll put a pin in it. <laughs> put a pin in it. I can't wait to bring this up at dinner. Um, we have a couple of comments. One from uh, Seth. Seth says, I, can o- I only collect five foot bottles of whiskey. So I'm assuming Seth's still at zero. Yeah. Yeah. Mystery or buyer. Is he copping to it? Is we, Seth yeah. the anonymous buyer? We don't know. If so, headed there after we wrap up here, Seth. Um, also, we had a comment from Ditto Dan on the podcast last week that I wanted to bring up. He says, what's with all the Tesla bashing? Oh. Week after week, you guys bash Tesla with articles like you're trying to build a mountain out of a molehill. molehill. Try saying something good about Tesla. There are plenty of things Tesla does good that are good for the world. Anna, anything positive about Tesla? Well, oh yeah. I mean, I'm very like normally yeah. state positive things about Tesla and Musk. I'm just like, I think you're just not listening, Ditto Dan. Well, I mean, sorry if we're giving that impression. I certainly don't have a horse in, in that race. Um, I do think that Tesla is an absolute pioneer mm-hmm. when it comes to EVs and sort of set the stage for how this technology develops and what is expected. Yeah. I mean, to, to, you know, where would EVs be maybe without somebody oh. like Tesla to come in and like make them cool? I don't know. It would just uh, still be that documentary, the death of the electric car or whatever. Yeah. And I think these stories come up because, because Tesla's the innovator. Yeah. You just see more, you know, trial and error, I guess, you know, well, more trial and error and more public interest. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, more public interest at failures. Than, I mean, uh, we've talked about it before, but like nobody is interested in everything goes well. Everything's fine. Keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think I've been pretty consistent in my admitting to waffling between everything Elon Musk, between him being a genius and a jackass. I mm-hmm. mean, I yeah. think it's I mean, he kind of runs the spectrum there. I yeah, think. I think he'd own that. I think yeah. he would own that. I was just uh, uh, I wanted to bring it up because my in case you missed it. We ran like three Tesla stories today. Like it's a big news day for Tesla. And uh, Tesla basically uh, must basically put an end to all remote workers Mm -hmm. uh, this week. And I was going to bring that up in case you missed it, because I think that is a positive thing. And we don't have to get into it. But, uh, you know, I just I was about to say something positive. It's just that, you know, Dyson has cool robots. And I want Mm -hmm. Dyson instead of, you know, like our 70th consecutive podcast talking about Musk, which we got to it. Sweet. Somebody won the drinking game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts before we get out of here. Uh, Anna, what's mm-hmm. your final thought this week? So um, as I mentioned in, a few weeks back, I canceled my Netflix subscription. And so I've oh. had to like dig deep a little bit to try to find some new stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I found the show this week that actually came out in February and I found it on demand. It's on the History Channel or was on the History Channel. And it's called Adam Eats the 80s. 
Oh. And if anyone is familiar with Man versus Food, mm-hmm. um, the show that it, it's oh, since yeah. yeah been canceled, but it was on a few years back. Adam Richman, he would go and do these food challenges. But um, this was like a limited series. It's 10 episodes. And he goes back to all these uh, places and has them try to recreate some discontinued products from the 80s. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, like there was a breakfast pizza for six months that Domino's put out. And... Um, so he had he went to like the original Domino's franchise and they made him one. Oh man. Um that but it's cool. So like what is he uh did he have what was it like uh was the Pepsi one or Oh, Crystal Pepsi. Crystal I, Pepsi. I haven't got to that yet. I'm assuming that will come up. But mm-hmm. like um you remember those like Keebler Magic Middle cookies that were like uh chocolate on the inside, this chocolate goo on the inside and outside they were shortbread? I do not remember those, that. Those yeah. um bonkers. Oh yeah. Um, I know the name. What, wait, what were those? Were bonkers like gushers? They were like a the Starburst equivalent, except they had two fruits. Yeah. Um. There's all oh, kinds of weird stuff in there. Uh, the McDLT. He had one of those made for him. Um. And he did a taste test of French fries. Uh. From the 80s, before M- McDonald's stopped using beef tallow to fry them. Oh, okay. So, um, there's a lot it of. Called? It's called Adam Eats the 80s. Anyway, if you love 80s nostalgia, which I do, um. You may enjoy that. So just a tip. Man, that is, uh, I'm going to check that out. That sounds definitely, yeah. Um, My final thought is just that uh, this week I had a chance to go to what is essentially the equivalent of the Catalina wine mixer. And uh, my my wife had a work event and it was a lot of fun to go and just kind of get outside of your bubble a little bit and meet some new people. And everyone had a really cool, interesting story. And it was just you know, I've uh, I've been to been out to one trade show since, and so this was like a, a networking event completely outside of uh, norm like uh, the industries that I normally operate in. And it was just kind of fun to be like, "Hey, what do you do?" And I happen to say that to like the president of the entire thing. But uh, after that icebreaker, he really got into it, and I was just like, just went to the next guy, like, "What do you do?" He's like, "Oh, I listen to him." I'm like, oh, okay. I'm starting to understand the hierarchy here, but uh, it was just a lot of fun, and I, I'm, I'm appreciating it. A, getting nicer as summer's rolling in, and uh, kind of getting out into the world a little bit more, uh, remembering that we're all humans, being nice to one another, and uh, not getting back to normal, but just remembering what normal is. I would agree. Yeah, the last uh, weekend I had a chance to go to a concert for the first time in a long time, and that was the concert itself was great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being out amongst people doing a similar. Activity like that was just, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, look at this. We're all humans yeah. smiling and having fun. Yeah. It's great. That's yeah. cool. Uh, Jeff, let's. Uh, what's your final thought this week? Well, that was kind of it. Okay. But we'll also okay. get into trivia. <laughs> <laughs> good thing we go over all this and are it so well con- organized. Concise yeah. final thought. <clears throat> well, no, I did the same thing. It was great. Yep. No. <laughs> I'll stop agreeing with you, David, if that's what's throwing you off here. No, no. I was just, I want to know trivia because I was pretty sure i actually got one right this time you did and actually we had a lot of people respond unfortunately jesse fowler was the only one who got the correct answer we asked of all the people all the celebrity types that we have covered in terms of where they different stories that involved them um whether it was anton yelchin brad pitt aaron Rodgers, britney spears or jay-z which one got the most engagement on our website and unfortunately it was anton yelchin as jesse alluded to he was uh, killed in his jeep rolled out of gear uh, pinned him against the gate at his home and, and he passed. And that was the first, that was the, uh, the, the correct answer. Brad Pitt was a very close second. Aaron Rodgers and this, uh, Brad Pitt got all that attention with those homes that he built mm-hmm. um, yeah. after New Hurricane Orleans. Katrina. Um, that, uh, 
did not work Our out. Our crumbling. Um, yeah. Aaron Rodgers came in third with his work in trying to develop a safer helmet. Britney Spears and some of the issues with her uh, her her products. Merch uh, manufacturing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she came in fourth. And Jay-Z and some of his issues with his apparel line came oh, in okay. fifth. However, the actor that has actually gotten the most attention, if you recall back, was a South Korean actor named Ji Shang Sun. He was one of the first ones who had a Tesla that mm-hmm. started on fire. Oh, so yeah. actually, that story got twice as much uh, yeah. engagement as uh, as any of these other ones. More but, than all these people combined. So he would have actually been around. But like I said, congratulations to Jesse for getting the correct answer. Going in that same vein this week. Yeah. I was looking forward. We did a lot of automotive stories. We always do a lot of automotive stories. Mm-hmm. But went back and Tesla, far and away. Because he had the most engagement for any vehicle manufacturers mm-hmm. on the site. Yeah. But the question is, who is second? Over the last year, which automaker has gotten the highest level of engagement in terms of stories on our site? I know. Ford, GM, Toyota, Stellantis, or Nissan. So those are your five options. Let me know who you think has gotten the most attention. This is just over the last year. The mm-hmm. most engagement, I should say. So like from Ju- like uh, June to June? June to June. Oh, okay. Yep. June 1st to <laughs> yeah. June 1st of last year to June mm, 1st. This year, again, Ford, GM, Toyota, Stellantis, or Nissan, which vehicle maker has had the highest level of engagement? Okay. Not the most stories, the highest number of page views. Right, right. All right. Well, I look forward to getting to that next week. And I mean, this last one was pretty easy. I'm uh, having a tough time on this one. So right. we'll uh, crunch some numbers. All right. Well, Before we get out of here this week, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help out the podcast a lot by leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you listen to. Uh, Finally, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line if you want to reach out. Finally, make sure to subscribe to our weekly and daily newsletters. Make sure you get the podcast to your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.